Hello, and welcome to another episode of Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, a podcast in which I, James Shearer, talk to inspiring and creative humans in and around the New Zealand theatre industry and find out how they got that way. Today I am joined by actor, theatre company co-owner, and sloth enthusiast, Nomi Cohen. Nomi joins the podcast to talk about how she went from dressing up and performing as a cat in her youth to dressing up and performing as a cat two decades later in her cabaret show, Puss. Nomi details the unexpected process that led to her playing the role of Roxy in the Court Theatre's production of Chicago. And of course, we get a glimpse of the upcoming adventures of Nomi's sloth-stuffed animal, Mr. Spleen. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, enjoy a conversation with Nomi on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams. Hey Nomi, how's it going? Yeah, good, good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. How's this time going for you? It's an, it's an interesting time for sure. Definitely filled with ups and downs. Um, motivation's pretty, pretty difficult to kind of come by. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but some days it's a big old walk outside and fresh air and maybe a stretch and read a play or watch a play at the moment, you know, so it feels kind of a little bit more productive. And then other days, um, like this morning you try and make a cornbread, but you accidentally put in almost three times the amount of baking soda. Great. There's ups and downs for sure. She risen. She actually didn't. I'm quite surprised. Oh. But uh, I didn't think it tasted that bad. I was expecting it to be really awful. And then it actually wasn't so bad. But then I gave um, some to my partner, Fergus, and um, he said it tasted like shrimp. That's exactly what you want a cornbread to taste like. Yeah, it's not quite <laughs> It's not quite the reaction I was hoping for. I was definitely going for like, oh, yeah, it's not so bad. And that tastes like shrimp. I want no part of it is what I got. So no, oh, yum, that tastes like shrimp. No, like weird. Why does that taste like shrimp? So I don't know, man. How's uh, how's this all going for you? Yeah, good. Had a job interview this morning, which was yeah. So fun. what's that? What's that about? How? What even is that? What how job? am I getting a job? How interview? are you getting a job interview in this in this time? Yeah, it's at Pet Barn, which Brady's working at, mm. and she kind of got me an interview, and it's mostly click and collect orders, right. And, of course, pets need their food and their stuff, so it's kind of essential, you know? An essential service. There's a great thing that happened um, over in the old NZ recently, which is that somehow peaches and cream became an essential service. I saw that. Yeah, but now it's they've pulled it back. All right. Probably because of the backlash they got or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, man. I I was I was definitely prepared to be like, sure, I can see, you know, like you're stuck in isolation if you're, you know, single. Like, sure, get yourself a vibrator mm, girl or totally. boy, you know, or whatever. Like, uh, totally up to you. But I was very intrigued by like, okay, what do they technically, what are they saying are like essential products? A um, mm. lot of lube. A lot, um, lot of lube. There was some in larger pumps. Of, of for various body parts um and vibrators and things like that and i was like there seems to be not a huge amount of consistency here so you know the things you find delightful in isolation i mean people need what they need you know <laughs> people need what they need you know the pieces of news that you find interesting nowadays because i think you do have to sort of at a certain point stop reading the updates every day mm-hmm. i definitely i have decided to sort of step away from that for a bit i think and sort of try and only read the essential or the comical. Yeah, good, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so 
being a theatre podcast, we should bring it back to, you know... Theatre. Some theatre stuff. <laughs> some, some actual, yeah, on-topic stuff. Yeah, for sure. So what is your favourite musical? Ooh, favourite musical. Such an interesting question. I feel like sometimes favourite musical is like, what's your favourite band or your favourite movie? And um, mm. I certainly know people who have that, and I don't know if hands down mine is always the same. Yeah, it kind of chops and changes, eh? Yeah, I think it kind of chops and changes, but I think one that I will kind of always be able to go back to and be like, damn, yeah, this is still this is still amazing is Into the Woods. I love Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it, I mean, Sondheim is a genius, but I just think, you know, you looking at it from both like a theatrical sense and like a production sense, it's just, it's got so many characters. There's strong female characters in it, not just men. It's delightful in terms of its sort of fairy tale aspect, but also quite heavy. It, it has the opportunity as well to be designed to be quite dark, which I, I really like. Um, mm. and, and also still magical, which, um, yeah, I just find that really fascinating. Yeah. I just, I love the, the music so much. And I think it sits in this sort of old Jewish Broadway humor, which I, totally. which I totally like. I like that, um, the cow is usually a prop. Yeah. Those, those sorts of things. Although we did see a production of it in Chicago that was, uh, super fun that the cow was played by an, an older woman great <laughs> with a Zimmer frame, um, who happens to be the, I think the head of the acting department at Northwestern University in Chicago. Amazing. Um, so, super cool. Uh, great choice. Great, great choice there. Yeah. I love Into the yeah. Woods, I think. Did you perform growing up and did you, were you in that kind of world? Kind of yes and no. I, we, I moved a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, moved a bit. So i I uh, was born in the States in um, Flagstaff, Arizona. Then when I was three, we moved to a small town just outside of Paris in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was eight, we came here right. to New Zealand. So I did ballet in France. Uh, and then when we moved here, I was like, I couldn't find a dance studio that I liked. So I was like, no, I don't want to and rode horses for a while and then kind of found my way back to dance and performance in high school, even though my high school wasn't known for its arts at all. <laughs> so it was a interesting program. My, my first drama teacher was also my dance teacher. So I started doing after school dance at her studio. And then when she left, uh, our new drama teacher actually used to be the production manager at NASDA. Right. So kind of got into it a little bit more then and started doing after school drama as well for like probably about a year with original scripts. Yeah. So I actually met Tom and Holly years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I came to it late. I think like I, I never had singing lessons other than I probably had about like six months with the singing lessons in the lead up to my audition for NASDA. That was to my knowledge, kind of the only after school drama acting stuff that I did was original scripts. But I was certainly the kid who I really liked to make costumes out of like scarves and things and present them to my parents and be like, look, aren't I clever? Ha ha. And I I think I always liked making people laugh by being silly. I'm going to pretend to be a cat today. (laughs) That was that kid. Your parents weren't performers at all. No, academics, total academics. Uh, My mother was in uh, choirs and she picked up the saxophone of, a few years back now, I, I want to say like five or six, um, if you're listening, mum, sorry for not remembering, um, <laughs> and, and since picked up um, multiple si- different sizes 
of the saxophone and clarinet as well. But other than that, no, just total kind of artsy human beings, I would say. Mm. She's a linguist uh, and the director of a charity called the Champion Centre. And my father lectured in marketing at university for many years. Yeah, just total, like not really hippies, (laughs) but not not hippies either. Somewhere in between. (laughs) I want to say. Somewhere in between. So they were always super supportive, super, super supportive. As as long as I got a degree, I had to get a degree. Yeah. So they didn't have any kind of reservations of you going into this or? No, I think they kind of always knew because I, 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 I sort of didn't see myself doing anything else, to be honest. I think I had a very small stint where I was like, I might be a psychologist mm. and I'd be interested in psychology. But other than that, I think it was always like, well, I'm, of course I'm going to go into acting because I don't, I don't know anything else so I just or there's nothing else that I enjoy and I think I still feel it as well it's like I don't know if I you know I don't feel smart enough to be super academic but no they they kind of knew and yeah that was the only requirement really is I had to get a degree but I'm I'm sure there's a definitely a sense of every time every time I get cast in something um be it professional or not they're just sort of like oh thank god (laughs) (laughs) um you know we've put all this time and effort and energy into supporting her and she's actually crap um, <laughs> or, or you know or something like that so we love the parents we love the parents we love the parents yeah uh, so what is your dream role to play dream role is interesting i think for those of us who don't consider ourselves to be lead musical type although technically you are that Te- technically i have been that which we'll get to <laughs> which was a total shock but yeah what i can at least understand of my own brand um <laughs> means that i i will hit my stride in my like 40s and 50s like i'm coming right. i'm coming for you i'm coming <laughs> for you then um so before that time i would love to play the baker's wife in into the woods cool. um i know favorite musical favorite role you oh. know um, it's all connected. It's all connected, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I think after that, if one day I get the chance to play Mrs. Lovett, I'll die happy. Yeah. Sondheim also, you know, genius. But, um, <laughs> I just want to do Sondheim. <laughs> yeah, I just, just want to do Sondheim, guys. So <laughs> give me a chance. I'll be, get better at rhythms, I swear. <laughs> so moving on from the previous conversation, you obviously auditioned for NASDA and you got in. How was the NASDA process for you? Was it... A good experience? Uh... The NASA process for me was, I think, quite mixed, to be mm. honest. I came in having not really done big shows. I'd never done kind of the high school musical thing. I mean, we did a musical in my time at high school, but it was the Threepenny Opera. Great. Did you then learn about the Threepenny Opera in first year theatre studies? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. And we're sitting there being like, oh, I know all of this, you know. <laughs> Everyone is like, this is really fucked up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, it's fucking weird, but, you know, woo, bricked. Um, <laughs> looking back, like, I, I think I had an attitude for sure. I was this kind of like, like, I don't understand a lot of this. So I, I was like, kind of like loud and trying to be the class clown and um, really bullshy. Every class needs a class clown. Yeah, totally. <laughs> In first year, I dyed my hair like bright red, which I've obviously since gone back to. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and then had to like dye it back to a normal color when we did um, The Music Man. Yeah, they were like raining in. Come on. And they were like, chill out. Chill out indeed, you two. Hey guys, it's Future James here. And now, a word from our sponsor. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Zoom, the way that everyone's meeting in the COVID-19 area, age. Um, uh, thanks for having us. Thanks, Nomi. And now, back to the podcast. 
I think I really struggled with there not being very much acting because I it was a thing I think I felt like I was the strongest at. Um, and I definitely feel like they were trying to put me in a box I just didn't fit in. But I had a, I, I had a really good time in third year, I think. Um, third year, I feel like, I, yeah, people, it was almost like I felt like people started trusting me more to just be. Yeah, you're kind of left, not left to your own devices, but sort of allowed to express yourself more in what you want to express yourself in in third year, I think. Totally. And um, we were the first year in a, in a few years that where they reintroduced the court theatre intern right. kind of program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was mid-year. Instead of being the musical at the end of the year, it was the mid-year slot, which was usually a Shakespeare. And so I did Much Ado About Nothing. And I got a lot of wonderful compliments from the people that I was around during that process that kind of I think gave me the confidence boost that I needed yeah which was which was very cool and then of course I I left NASDA being like nap I ain't had enough acting I felt very strongly that I didn't get quite enough acting training there just wasn't enough time in the schedule for the you know the acting teachers at the time to mm. give that to us so I went on and did the actors program in Auckland. Yeah. How was that? Maybe compared to NASDA or just in general? Yeah. I feel like I owe a lot to the actors program in terms of where I am now. Mm-hmm. I think I got from the actors program what I wanted from NASDA, but I also think that I probably wouldn't be, wouldn't have been ready for the actors program had I not gone through NASDA. Like at the actors program, we were constantly reminded that we were all there for different reasons and we all had different strengths and different weaknesses. Sure. And we were there because we had a lot of uh, potential or, or whatever that um, they felt that they could kind of grow us. And I think in general there was an, it felt like there was an attitude at NASDA that was like, we we don't have enough time, so we're going to teach you this one thing. Whereas the actors program felt like we don't have any time, so we're going to teach you a little bit of everything. Mm. And you you better be ready. Like you better be prepared for class. You better pay attention. You better do your homework. Sure. And I think the different teaching styles work for different people. Totally. Absolutely. It's a strange thing having to place academic marks on an acting mm-hmm. or singing performance. Yeah. Dance feels, I think, a little bit more like, you know, there's like more structure to it. You know, like, oh, your foot wasn't pointed in this part or like mm. you're not, your turn out isn't as, you know, whatever you're spotting and your turns and stuff like that. Whereas acting it's sort of like how do you how do you mark that how do you judge that and so the actors program not having any grading system whatsoever I think was really good for me cool we got like feedback after quote-unquote assessments there were like showings which I liked more yeah just different styles and we certainly did a bunch of weird rolling around on the floor stuff you know the the times when you're like if a if a normal person walked into this room right now we would look insane to them just like rolling around on the floor making sounds and yeah and stuff like that but you know like for some people that like they, that really works for them you just you you never know there's so many different styles to acting training and process and all of that kind of stuff you've got to roll around on the floor to learn how to play king lear you've got to roll around <laughs> on the floor to learn how to play king lear it's so true but definitely i mean i guess that that was a pretty massive thing i think from the actors program which is um I, I completely understand Stanislavski objectives and whatnot are super valid. I just, it's not really my style of working. It's not what I prefer to do. It wasn't until the actors program when like what we had one tutor, a guest tutor come in and sort of look at different ways you could approach a text. And it was sort of like, this isn't the only way 
here's a whole bunch of other ways. And if like, you don't click with this one, that's totally cool. Like try this one. Like, what about this one? And I was just like, oh my God, I'm not shit. <laughs> I'm not shit at this. I just don't like that. Like, it's fine. I do not envy the Nesta institution trying to figure out how to split acting, dance and singing into three years, yeah. you know. The whole wealth of knowledge of all of performing. <laughs> totally. Where do you even start? Yeah. And like scheduling, nightmare. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, crazy. Yeah, totally. Uh, so what is your favorite role that you've played? Definitely. I would say definitely Roxy in Chicago. Um, it was super unexpected. I didn't think that I would ever be the brand or type for a, a lead in a show. I, I had played um, Serena in Legally Blonde the year before. And like that to me was sort of completely correct brand wise right yeah like yeah. i was like i i walked into that audition being like i am serena you are gonna cast me as serena yeah i didn't say that but i said it with my audition <laughs> i went in there with um hey mickey and i had like a full routine great it was like cool i'm a cheerleader cast me <laughs> i've been cheerleading all my life i've been cheerleading all my life and i walked out of that audition being like i can't believe i just sassed richard that way <laughs> like i was like totally sassy in the room and it was just like holy fuck i can't believe i just did that but fine method yeah it's totally method <laughs> yeah so i was i wanted to audition for the show and you know you, you think about the practical things and you're like oh i'm too young for mama and i'm too young for velma mm -hmm. you know i'll probably go in there and be like put me you know, wherever, I, you know, I would love to be in the company as well, but, like, I'm going to go in for Roxy. I grew up watching the film. I loved the film. I was pretty familiar with the material already, and I learned the monologue, and I went in there, and I was just sort of like, fuck it, here we go. Like, balls to the wall. Mm -hmm. I, I, my goal walking into that audition was to be like, check out what else I got, because they, I knew walking into that audition room what was probably going to happen is they were going to see me as the, like, Serena vibe. It was totally one of those situations where I walked out of that audition room being like, I don't know what just happened. Mm. Like, I can't remember, really. I remember bits of it, I which for me has always been a kind of sign of, it feels, it feels like good work to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I was like, it felt good, but like, oh man, that was so whirlwind. I have no idea. I remember them being confused that I was auditioning for Roxy. Because that was the same team as Legally Blonde, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So we had uh, Richard and Stephen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Ross Gumbly was also in the room. Hmm. You know, I was like, I'm reading for Roxy. And they were sort of like, really? It was, yeah. And they're like, not, not Velma? It's like, yeah, no, I'm here for Roxy. Like, here we go. Then, you know, the process, the process started and I, um, I just had, I had a great, time i think for me roxy felt like an often misunderstood character sure she's so many different things depending mm. on who she's trying to get what out of so she's like super manipulative um but she's like sexy and like fun and and all that kind of stuff so i it was kind of a dream show for me i got to sing i got to do some kind of a slightly heavier acting in some of the scenes um, with like Billy Flynn and, you know, I had a really good time with Roy Snow in that role. I got to act opposite someone who had given me a massive opportunity earlier on. So Dali Muheki as Velma Kelly. She hired me in a show at the Blue Baths in Rotorua. Uh, we hadn't worked together in like four years, three, four years. Mm. So it was super cool. Yeah. And I got to dance a little bit. I got to be like fun and flirty and sexy but dark and weird. And I got awesome costumes. Totally. You know, yeah. you, you have to admit that like. Sometimes you're just sort of like, man, my job is awesome. Mm -hmm. Like this coat just got made for me. That's so cool. Yeah. No, that was, that was an awesome, 
awesome, awesome time. Hmm. Um, so jumping back a little bit, I actually watched a video on the court page of like an interview where they were asking questions. It must have been for Chicago. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and you said at that point that you're greatest achievement was doing the show hungover at the basement theater maybe it's not your greatest achievement but it, it does it still like hold a place in your heart as like that was really cool yeah it definitely holds a place in my heart i think as what felt like kind of the first successful piece of writing mm. that i had done it was the first time i sort of created something really i did a devised piece with a few people from my year at the actors program before that um but that certainly felt like the first thing that i had really um, written being like a kind of writing partnership with uh, our director Hamish McGregor and then Matt Baker dramaturged it and was also in it I'm pretty certain the whole thing started because I like woke up in the middle of the night one day and I was just like man it would be cool to start a show super hungover and to just it, it's like I had the like the opening and I could like see it in my head and that's all I had and then I went to Hamish who is a very dear friend it took us a while to to kind of write and certainly re-watching what we filmed now, you're like, you can see, you know, there's things that need work if we ever want to rework it and chuck it on. But it was, we wanted to introduce sort of cabaret musical theatre to the Auckland theatre going public because uh, it felt like at the time there sort of wasn't really anything like that at, um, that was being put on in like the basement and we were musical theater dorks. I was like desperate to show people that like musical theater isn't just like legally blonde and mm. wicked and like hairspray and like those sorts of things. All of those are fantastic, but it just wasn't my, my vibe at the time. And so mm. we, yeah, we wrote the show that was all about like what the fuck happened last night. And you find out like one character's cheated on his girlfriend, but with the other girl who's there and we sold really well. And it was this feeling of like, we wrote a thing and people liked it. Oh my God. Amazing. The thing that felt like super successful about it was like the amount of kind of blokes that came up to us afterwards and were like, I don't normally like musical theater, but I like that. <laughs> That's how you know it did well. <laughs> yeah, that was the goal. You know, we had people coming to it just purely because it was called Hungover. <laughs> You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> but you didn't know it was musical. Ta-da! Like, that was very cool. I'm still very proud of what we achieved with that piece. It is an achievement that I hold close to my heart. But I think what I've sort of come to realize and I'm still totally coming to terms with and sort of chewing, if you will, is what is achievement in our industry? And like your biggest achievement, like what does that mean? Sure. I think, you know, like Roxy feels like a, one of my biggest achievements now. Mm. But if if that is my definition of achievement, it's like the definition of success. Like if that's my definition of success, that's actually problematic, I think. Mm. You can't just expect to kind of always be hitting that level. And that was totally a shock for me, getting a lead in a musical at the Court Theatre. I was like, awesome, I am on my way. I'm being, like, I'm going to springboard into all these other things and doors are going to open and blah, blah, blah. And it just was not the case. Mm. It just was not the case. And at least part of that, if not most of that, is completely out of your control. Totally. So why have the goal of something that's out of your control when you can have something that is completely in your control and strive for that? Yeah, totally. I think that's probably why I tend to return to creating my own work because, yeah, you know, like I think I still am this like small, weird, bolshy, sassy thing who's like a little bit dark and there isn't really a place for me here often. Um, and certainly not with um, a lot of the, you know, the season's that happen at the court theatre where it's predominantly they're in need of other young men or, like, people above the age of 
40. Um, there, there's just not, there's not a lot. So still kind of trying to work out exactly how I define success. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of success, um, mm. your show Puss was very successful. Yeah. So that was, that came out of a feeling that I got at NASDA, mm-hmm. which was, uh, we had just finished Mother Courage and that was, whew, that was a production <laughs> and a half. We casted ourselves. We had like three different Mother Courages and her family We pushed around a big old car. It was like, it was, it was cool, but it was, it was a lot. And that was when a lot of us had our second year, Who Am I breakdown. Do you guys have that? Do you get that in second year? I think every year has that, and we definitely had that. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Because in first year, you're like sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and in second year, you're like, I have no idea who I am. I have uh-huh. no idea why I'm doing this. Yep. I'm crap at this. What the fuck am I doing here? And then in third year, you're like, oh, no, it's totally fine. I'm all right. It's good to know that we weren't the only ones. No, totally not. I There was many tears in my year. I had a, I had a, not like a full breakdown during Mother Courage, but I had that. That was my, that was my Mother Courage, like crying in rehearsal kind of situation because I was just like, I don't know what you want from me. It was the first year, I think the first year that Stephen directed a NASDA 30-year show. He came in for Cats for the year above us. And a few of us who were kind of more dancey were put into a lot of the numbers. I was lucky enough that that was me. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. I was just like, I had just come off being so up in my own head with this like super intense text and like character because I, I was one of the mother courages. And I was just like, oh my God, I just get to be a cat. Yes. Like, all I need to know how to do is sing, dance, and how to be a cat. And that was it. And so I first created Puss when I entered a short and sweet competition in Auckland. Um, And it was just like a little 15-minute piece. And it was all about this cat from Remiwera. It's like a fancy neighborhood um, who got relocated to Mount Albert. And it was not okay with her because she was like a spoiled little rich cat. And we did really well. Like, I, I got both the judges and the People's Choice Award. Andy Manning, pianist for it. Also got some awards. Chicago was sort of starting to wind down and it was like, okay, I'm going to enter a comedy festival. Yeah. And it sold really well. I only had two nights, but I sold really well, you know, um, and people seemed to like it. And it was just like, I just wanted to be ridiculous. I just wanted to be a cat. It should feel like your seven year old has made their own costume. Mm. for the recital of cats that they're going to do in your living room. I did shit like come in singing Wrecking Ball holding a giant ball of yarn that was like we had a one of those yoga balls that we wrapped in yarn essentially kind of swinging on it like in Wrecking Ball. I learned a little bit more from that process about like how to communicate with an audience, how to get an audience to do what you want them to do without them feeling like they don't trust you or they're not going to do what you want them to do. Mm. It's funny because at the start of this conversation you said that as a child you would pretend to be a cat yeah and then however many 20 years later you're pretending to be a cat <laughs> yeah totally and yeah I don't I don't know what that is really um <laughs> I was a weird child I think aren't all actors <laughs> yeah true <laughs> totally totally and I'm certainly still trying to figure out exactly what my brand is I think it's really useful talking to other people who know you as an actor, I know you as a person, and ask them, what do you think I I do exactly? Hmm. And one guy once, we were talking about a, a play that we had just seen, and I made some sort of comment about, like, man, I wish I could be an actor like that or whatever. And he was like, but you're not an actor. And I was like, what? He was like, you're a performance artist. <laughs> 
And I was like, okay. I had no idea what, you know, it was like a, wow, okay, thank you. That's weird, but yeah. um, sure, I guess. You've got to kind of figure out what, what, what your vibe is. I'm mm. still trying to figure that out, but i got a puppet now, so that's exciting. <laughs> Thanks for making a head shout out. <laughs> making me a puppet. Super exciting. Can't wait to see more of that. Oh, it's great. I don't know who she is yet. We're going to figure it out. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Miss, Mr. Spleen's girlfriend. Oh, man. And for those of you who don't know who Mr. Spleen is, Mr. Spleen is my soft toy sloth, um, <laughs> which, you know, take what you will from that. But he's a dude. Fergus and I, my partner, have done a lot of drinking and talking about theater the epitome of a theater couple that we are and interesting enough did uh sort of similar lines of questions to like what you're asking but Mm. we kind of started flipping it in the sense of okay at this age right now what what would you see me cast as what would you cast me as in a show which was a super interesting exercise and totally kind of starts to paint a picture of that, like what other people that you trust think your brand is kind of thing. And then we just started talking about Sweeney Todd, just how brilliant the show is. And sure enough, there was just Mr. Splane sitting on the couch when we were going over to like watch a video and I was just like, oh my fucking God, it's Splaney Todd. <laughs> it's Splaney Todd. Oh my God. Yeah, so he's got some great adventures ahead of him, you know, um, splaining in the rain. Amazing. Of course, as the uh, the honourable uh, Spleen Kelly, um, <laughs> Priscilla Spleen of the Desert, <laughs> might be coming your way. Just get ready, folks, man. You know, yes. when my motivation comes back during isolation, whoa, Spleen, you're going to be famous. <laughs> if you want to see more of that, go to, what's the Instagram? Oh, his own personal Instagram. So he's the underscore Mr. MR underscore Spleen. S-P-L-E-E-N. The Mr. Spleen. And um, he's a good time. And he's made his way into music videos now. He's made his way into um, a live performance quiz that I write and run. (laughs) Just forcing him on other people. It's great. That's the thing, you know, it's like... I can sit here all I want and be like, yes, I want to be like a serious actor and do musical theatre, but I'm 27 years old and I'm actively, you know, forcing my soft toy onto people. Hey, not many other people are doing it, so. (laughs) No, it's true, you know. Although we've had a few people recently being like, he looks well loved. (laughs) Which is both a compliment and an insult, I feel, to us and to Mr. Spleen, you know. It is. He's like, yeah, I am well loved. So what? He's he's like, fuck yeah, man. These guys love me. He's so excited that we're in isolation with him. He's like, you telling me you guys are forced to stay home with me? Yes. You touched a little bit in there about your quizzes, and that is through Blackboard Theatre Collective. Yeah. Yeah. How did that sort of come about? I think during Legally Blonde, Jeremy Hinman came up to me at one point and was like, I think I'm moving back from Australia and we should be creating work together. We should be doing this. There's there's some cool stuff that we can be doing. And like I had already done a few sort of cabaret things and was hungry, hungry to for more work and to create more work. And I was like, hell yeah. And he either said or we discussed sort of other people that we think should come be a part of it and being free the super keen and Jack Marshall. Um, and Nick Purdy, and we were all kind of like, collectively, we will be able to do this. Um, and so we did, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, 
I think it was definitely born out of a place of knowing so many talented people, particularly in musical theater, and there not being enough opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. And we were like, we should be part of that. We should be part of creating more opportunity and also creating stuff in general. We started with a benefit concert to sort of kickstart us, to get us going. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was super well received. And then we did Catch Me If You Can, which was super well received as well and was a project I think bigger than we should have attempted initially because it was huge it was a huge project it was and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing Mm -hmm. um but we learned so much from that and we established ourselves as like a force within I think the the Christchurch landscape which was very cool and we established a kind of brand and since then we've done sort of um smaller projects here and there which I think came both out of a realization of how there's no money Mm -hmm. anywhere yeah um and also how difficult it is to cast some things when it comes to diversity it is important for us to try and cast as diverse as we can um and that is quite challenging in a landscape like Christchurch Mm. when you need a particular vocal type but there is nothing in there about ethnicity it can be really really hard options are very limited but more specifically options are very limited for a company that can't afford to fly anyone in you know we can barely afford to pay local people Mm. we've basically never pay ourselves yeah so it was it's it's been like a massive learning curve we've got some super exciting stuff coming up We've got some kind of announcements to make and um, this time is also, I think, really good for us to kind of get our logistical affairs in order. You know, work on what what our response is to what's happening in the world right now as a company because I think it's super important to say something (laughs) about it, to do something about it. You know, we have so many, so many friends who've lost work Mm -hmm. due to this and the performing arts industry is taking a really massive hit as, you know, the major form of public gathering, really, other than religion. There's some very unsure times ahead and we wanna we wanna do what we can. I don't know if you know this, but Catch Me If You Can was my first professional gig. I think I did know that, hmm. which was very cool. We were super excited to have you. So yeah, I thank all of you for what you do for people like me, especially just coming out of NASDA where there's so many professional and talented people looking for work in Christchurch and you guys kind of trust people and take people on it's great yeah thanks thanks for saying that we there's a lack of opportunity in Christchurch for our age or like recent grad sort of demographic Mm. but there is also you know Christchurch can be super clicky you know there's a court theater musical click there's a showbiz click there's a um, music click there's so many of these little sort of boroughs that it can be really hard to get a look in sometimes if you're not in the click. And we wanted to really strive to give people who don't often get an opportunity, we want to give them an opportunity, whether that be just running open auditions or casting someone. You came highly recommended from the process in Wicked. You know, people talk. Such a small community. Such a small community. You just can't afford to be an asshole. I'm always kind of interested in what people do when they're not performing or they're not in this musical theatre world what is your quote-unquote real job (laughs) my survival job i've had many different survival jobs it's always a bit scary going for job interviews 
because my CV looks like a crazy person's CV or like I'm super unreliable or, you know, anything like that. And I'm still entirely, not entirely sure how to make it look like I know my shit. But I've done retail. I worked in an office. I worked in TV production a couple of times. But most recently, at least before the world exploded, (laughs) I was working at a shared workspace as like a kind of receptionist but also like you know I fill up the coffee machine and the teas and stuff like that pretty simple Mm. um highly recommend if you're quite a busy brain Mm. person like I am that you're you know like a survival job is the best when it's you can leave it and clock off I've experienced survival jobs that kept me up at night that woke me up in the morning it's super hard to stay creative outside of that that's the most recent survival job anyways nice Coming towards the end, what is your miscast role? A role that I would never be cast as or definitely shouldn't is Daniela from In the Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, cause she's the like sassy salon owner, the role originated by um, Andrea Burns. Yeah. Just super fun, super sassy. I am very white and should never be cast in that role, but it would be, you know, that's one of those things. It's interesting. I mean, there's always male roles, but I think we need to start getting into the kind of inappropriate casting yeah. when it comes to ethnicity. Because mm. it's like, oh, I am a woman. I'm close, but... Close, but no cigar. Close, but no cigar. Yeah. Yeah. Watched by Hamilton one day. Lin-Manuel has said that a woman playing Hamilton is not completely off the book. Just saying. Just Lynn, if you're listening. I'm ready. Lynn, if you're it. listening, come on the podcast. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be such a yarn. So... The last question that I want to ask you is what is your Kiwi dream? What would you really like to do, I guess, with your years ahead? So strange. I think the longer you spend out of drama school as an actor, the more you start to realize just how much you can't think ahead. Mm. You can't plan ahead. You know, there's places I thought I'd be by my age that some things I've done, some things I haven't. And if this year thus far has taught me anything is that you really can't think that far ahead this was going to be my most cast year as an actor and no mas no more yes um you just can't Mm. um there's things that i want as an actor there's sort of kind of more immediate goals like i'm hungry for a play um i want to create more work i want to see what's up with puppets what's up with puppets what's up with puppets you know and someone in america told me once you know it's like i'm kind of neither here nor there i'm not really sure what my kind of style and brand is and they were just sort of like have you tried puppets? Because we felt that way and then we tried puppets and now we're puppeteers. So we'll see what's up with puppets. You guys can't see at home, but Nomi's actually been a puppet this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, just been puppet, puppeting this entire <laughs> podcast. Yeah, my partner and I are still pretty set on moving to the States. Mm-hmm. The dream is to be working, really. Mm. That's what the dream is. I think the, the dream is to just be working. And there are times when I think I can be constantly working and I can be good enough at budgeting and saving to kind of only work. And then there's other times where you're like, you need a survival job and that's totally a reality. But the absolute dream, it's not Broadway. Mm-hmm. It's not the West End for me. It's not a major movie deal. It's not any of those things. It's just to be working. And I think to be recognized for doing good work, solid, consistent work. On the other side of that, of course, is the Kiwi dream. It's like, I also want a family and happiness and love beyond my career. And I think it's important to keep both of those in mind. Happiness. Happiness. Yeah. All (laughs) righty. Yeah. 
Cool. Wow. Thanks very much for having me. That is my pleasure. Shockers. And thank you to all of you guys for listening. And until next time, we'll catch you in the next one. You know? <laughs> that was, wow, that was smooth. Oh, so smooth. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams. You can find Nomi on Instagram at the underscore Nomi, N-O-M-I underscore Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Huh, strangely similar to Mr. Spleen. You can find out more about Blackboard Theatre Collective by searching at Blackboard Theatre Co. on Facebook and Instagram. If you did enjoy this episode, why not head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps a lot with getting the show into as many ear holes as possible, so I'd appreciate that a lot. Also, I'm excited to announce that the podcast is now available on Spotify. So if you're like me and get all of your audio entertainment from Spotify, head on over there and search Broadway and other Kiwi Dreams and smash that follow button. Join me next week as I talk to someone who got the council to sign off on putting a large purple croissant in the middle of Christchurch City on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams. Mm-hmm.